Thank you for joining us today at River City Church, a church living in love. If you have a prayer need, would like to speak to a pastor, or have questions about today's message, please email us at info at rivercitysmyrna.com. For more information or to give to the ministries of River City Church, please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. God. Good morning, River City. Good morning. It's so wonderful to see everybody here this morning. Um, this Sunday, we'll be exploring Advent through art. Um, so we have Jessica Harvey with our elementary kids leading this side of the room. And we have Jason Hamill over here. So we'll be excited for them to present and um, talk to us about how Advent can be expressed through art. Um, this Sunday, did I already say my name? My name is Antramika Knight, if this is your first time here, and we welcome you. Um, this Sunday is a little bit different. Instead of reading one of the Psalms, we'll actually be reading a passage from Luke that connects with the Advent season. And it's from Luke 1, starting at verse 68. And it says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show the mercy promised to our fathers and remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him of all days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. If we can bow our heads in prayer. Father God, thank you for the Advent season in which we can carve out time to recognize your holiness, your birth, Father God. Thank you that you are so perfect and so holy that we can cast all doubts, all fears, all anxieties, all burdens upon you. Thank you, Father God, that you make our yoke lighter. Thank you that you are steadfast. Thank you that you are our strength. Father God, we pray during this Advent season as we explore it through art, music, poems, words, that all of those things just continue to point our hearts back to you. 
that we are able to recognize not only talent, but that the talent given to you, given from you, Father God, is another way that we can connect with the community. God, we thank you for those around us. We pray for those that during this season may be experiencing um, emotions associated with depression or anxiety or loneliness. We pray for those who are grieving during this holiday season who have lost loved ones in the past. We pray for those who are grieving because of medical illness or that they're experiencing themselves. Let us extend ourselves, Father God, and just welcome them and love them. We thank you, Jesus, for River City. We thank you for our visitors. In your son's holy name, amen. So on this second week of Advent, I'm going to read to you from the lectionary, Malachi 3, 1 through 4. Look, I am sending my messenger who will clear the path before me. Suddenly the Lord whom you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant in whom you take delight is coming, says the Lord of heavenly forces. Who can endure the day of his coming? Who can withstand his appearance? He is like the refiner's fire or the cleaner's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. They will belong to the Lord, presenting a righteous offering. The offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in ancient days and in former years. This morning, the light. We watch and wait for Christ's coming. During this Advent season, we light candles of hope, love, joy, and peace, remembering the promises of God with prayer and thanksgiving. Today, on the second Sunday of Advent, we light candles in hope and love. If you'll please pray with me, a reading from the screen. God of timeless grace, you fill us with joyful expectation. Make us ready for the message that prepares the way, that with uprightness of heart and holy hope, we may eagerly await the kingdom of your son, Jesus Christ, who reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen. We're just going to pray for a moment. If you'd stay standing before we sit. One of, the things, um, one of the things about being a Jesus people or a people who are passionate going after God is that while we walk in joy and all of us are moving towards fullness of joy continually in our lives, we can never get to the spot where we rem don't remember that the world around us is not in joy and needs us to be inserted into those places. And so there's always a portion of being filled and then understanding those around us that need his love that is always attention. We are filled by Jesus, but then we are sent by Jesus to love those who are in need. And we're called to pray for those people. We're called to lift those people up. We're called to be in those people's lives. And so I'm going to do prayers of the people today. And as I do this, there's going to be a couple times where I ask if you'd like to say something in relation to the topic I'm praying through, whether it's government, whether it's people in need, whether it's the church global. 
And in that spot, when I say, does anyone have anything to say, you can speak it out. I'd rather it not be an hour long, but you can say something in that spot. So if you'll close your eyes with me. Father, we stand in the gap as a bridge to the world for people to taste and see that you are good. For people to understand that our Jesus is the Jesus that dies for those who are his enemy. To understand that you were smacked on one cheek and then turned the other. To understand that you reclined at a dinner table with the very person that would betray you. You were after the world. You were after the lost. You were after those who were least of these. You were even considered that by the religious institutions. So in this Advent season, help us to remember that while we do experience hope as those already redeemed, there is a world and people who don't experience that yet, and we have to be in tune with that, to be a Jesus people about a nation, a world, about a church, a community, about a neighborhood, a friend. Wake us up today, not just to experience your joy in a room like this, but to take that joy to people who don't have it. That's our call. That's our call. So today, God, we lift up the church global and every person gathering just like we are in a space right now. And we ask that your mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ would be known and made known amongst communities all over the planet. I asked for salvations today. I asked for people to be discipled into maturity. I asked for people to fall in love with your bride. I ask for people to forgive people all across churches this morning, all across the world who are different than them. I ask that churches would make places at their table for people who are different than them. I ask that you would forgive us for leading incorrectly, even here at River City. We repent of that. Does anyone have anything they'd like to pray for the church global? Father, we also pray for those who are in power in our nation and nations around the world, the leaders of other countries and our president, that you would give them the wisdom and strength to lead the way that you have led, serving brother, serving fellow man and woman. We pray that you would touch the government in this city, that you would redeem the places that are broken and give a bent towards justice in the right ways, God. We pray that we would ask to see forgiveness come through government institutions. We pray that we would see restoration come through those things. Does anyone have anything they'd like to pray for the governments of the world or our own? Father, we pray for our local community, Smyrna, and if someone lives in Marietta or Woodstock, and we ask that we would become aware of how to be a people that love our cities, that we would be a light on a hill, not resounding all of the things that we don't like about our communities and talking about doomsday, but being a light in our communities and being redemption. Help us to insert ourselves in our cities and not just come to churches and enjoy services and Falcon's pizza lunches. Help us to be a people that love our cities and are known for that. Does anyone have anything they'd like to pray about our city or their city? Finally, Father, we lift up those who are in deep suffering right now all across this globe. There are many. Those who are sick in body, those who are sick in other ways, those who are being persecuted, those who are being sold into sex trafficking, those who are being manipulated, those who are being abused, those who are being killed. Right now, we ask God that you would step in and be a just God and bring justice where it needs to be brought. We pray for people to receive and understand what it is to be saved. 
all across this globe right now. Does anyone have anything they'd like to pray for suffering around the world right now? Father, we just thank you that we get to be a people that gather together and become this house of prayer that you say each church should be. That's your call for the churches, to be a house of prayer. So we don't do this lightly. We do this communally. We do this in unity. We reach out to those who don't even know we're reaching out for them. And we ask that you, God, would prepare the way, that you would prepare restoration, that you would provide hope, that you would bring into complete redemption, and that they would fall in love with you, God. They would fall in love with you like we have. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Rodney from One Need is going to come up and share for a moment. Rodney's a good friend of mine. We actually, the way I've explained him before, and you can come up, is uh, he actually got me my first fake ID. And this was about a week and a half ago. Now, was that 20? That was 24 years ago. So, and it didn't work. So, just for you all to know, if you're looking for a fake ID. This feels like I shouldn't have done all that, but I did it. Um, Rodney started an organization a, a while ago called One Need that we've been partnered with for a long time. Rodney is, again, like a Jonathan Godby, one of the most benevolent people I have ever met. He receives hundreds of calls a week from people who are in need, and he has gotten an organization that his whole ministry is to help people who cannot help in different spots. And he's going to share a little bit about what he does, and then we're going to transition. You good? Yeah. Hey, guys. Really excited about Atlanta United. Can't understate that enough. Um, I'm not a gifted speaker or anything, so this groom is special, like this group. Um, I do end up in these churches a lot because One Need is a network of churches at this point scattered all over the country. What am I doing? Oh, okay, sorry. See what I mean? And so, um, but it's such an uplifting group, and I just can't tell you how lucky I feel to even be able to come here just one Sunday occasionally. Um, if I lived any closer, I promise I'd come here a lot more often. But um, Josh asked me to come talk about benevolence. And benevolence is a tough, tough part of ministry. Um, it doesn't seem like it would be. It seems like it would be like the funnest part because you get to help people constantly. But the truth is, is that when you're, when you're dealing in benevolence, you're you're really going into tough places, tough spots, tough situations. And so it can get very, very murky really, really fast. And so Josh asked me to come mention um, and talk a little bit about One Need to, um, to, to kind of explain it. But I think it's important to understand that benevolence is not just money. It's an act of kindness. It's caring. It's being available. It's being interruptible. It's giving up your time to do something else. It's offering a kind word. We talk a lot inside of our ministry about loving in truth and in deed. And that's critically important. And so when we, when we look into benevolence, many, many times people get their feelings hurt and they're frustrated and they're angry when we, when we do not hand them money. And it can be very difficult. But let me explain a little bit why we wouldn't want to just always be handing money. Think about the person you love the most or uh, a family member or a child is the healthiest thing for me to do. I have three kids. My daughter is 16 now, my oldest, and she drives around town in her car. Is it healthy for me to give her $500,000? Would that be a great idea? Is it healthy for her to get in, no matter what her situation, for her to get that need met? 
would that be true love on my part? Is that the greatest idea? Are there some development issues that need to happen before she's prepared to handle those things? When I was a young professional, I got myself in some financial problems. And one of my mentors told me, Rodney, the very worst thing that can happen to you is you to make more money. <laughs> and I looked at him and I was like, what I need is another $100,000. And he was like, what you need is no more money because you're just messing it all up. And so fast forward to 15 years later in my career, I end up in, um, I come to Christ during that process and I, I end up starting a ministry called One Need that is networking churches all over the country um, through benevolence. And so this group has grown over, since 2010, and I find myself on a daily basis. We do, I individually handle about 1,200 individual needs a year, and the way we do that is through our church partners. So every need starts and ends at the local church. And Josh, in February of 2015, I asked Josh this week what... Um, where y'all were in the stages of your, of your community, of building, of planting your church. And he said, we were in our core stages. And I was like, Josh, you didn't have any, pro, any systems really in place, any, any staff really in place. And we went and ate at his favorite um, sandwich place. What's it? Panera. And, uh, <laughs> and, and so after that, I went and ate lunch. And But he came on board, and he was like, hey, you know, this is really important to us. And I've never seen, we have, we have a lot of partners, um, and I've never seen a church put such a high priority on benevolence. And he's like, he didn't have anybody asking him for help yet, but he wanted to be ready. And so ever since then, this community has had a system that's been ready and waiting for people in need. And it's a system not just for those in need, but it's also a system and an organization for you as benevolent people. Because the church, Christians, are unbelievably benevolent. It's just, I see it all the time. It blows me away. And so what One Need is here to do to help you, help you guys do is as people come and have needs, they are um, able to submit that need in their own words. All you have to do is have them go to the church website. When they enter that need, they're going to get a call from me within 48 hours. They get this cell phone number. It's not like some office number. It's not some um, organization where they, they can't really get to the person that's helping. We then, I then, work with that person individually and try to assess that situation, assess that need. Now, here's the thing. Needs fall into one of three buckets. And here's where the, the real, I think, the crux of what we want to talk about today. It, it's going to fall into a rehabilitation need, a development need, or a relief need. Now, when approaching these needs, rehab, development, and relief, it's never, ever, ever appropriate to send money to a rehab or development situation. It's only going to make it worse. Rehabilitation is free. Development is free. Neither of those require currency to be applied to them for you to get out of that situation. What it requires is to be a friend and to love someone in truth and to be there for them. So when it's rehab and development... You can be their very closest friend. You can, you can be with them. You can coach them. You can encourage them. You can be available to them. You can let them bounce ideas off you, and you can and give them good advice. But you shouldn't throw money at it. Relief is where there's a situation where they can 
um, the problem, so to speak, can be fixed, and it won't be ongoing. It's a, it's a gap. It's like this equals this, and then we can do this, and then we won't have this problem over and over and over. It's very, very difficult to get that right, and we're not always right. So you should know that you're, you are one need, if you're, especially if you're already involved in the organization, but you're, you're one need just because you are a member of this community. And so if you ever see us making a mistake in that area, just call. Josh has called before. I'm like, I'm not right all the time. So we, we, we definitely want to individually look at every single need. Now, where it gets tough is when we, we feel guilt or shame or some kind of a heavy, not joyous feeling because we have something and someone else does not have something. And from doing now about 11 or 12,000 individual needs on this cell phone, working with individual people, I've learned one thing. Most of it, when we find ourselves in that spot, that is not what God intends for us when he thinks about benevolence. He does not want us giving because we feel shamed or guilt for any reason. We need to be giving while... Um, really joyfully and very, um, not lightheartedly, but, but it's, not as, as, um, it's not a sad situation every time that there's a benevolent situation. It's not when someone has a need, um, it doesn't mean that God doesn't love them. And so I think sometimes we feel like if we don't help them, they won't come to Christ. Or if we don't help them, they're not going to get better. The truth is they will. And they will because you're going to be their friend. You're going to be available to them, but it's not always appropriate to give money. So when someone has a need in your community, you see a need out there. I want people looking for needs. Tell them, our church wants to help you. Put your need in our system or help them. You go put it in there for them. They're going to get treated with respect, kindness. They're going to get a direct communication. And we're going to love them in truth and in deed. Does that make sense? Are you all cool with that? Now, if you want to be a part of it, when it is a relief situation, we send out what's called a need alert. And if you want to get those need alerts, you can go to oneneed.org, and the first, the only thing you'll see is all the needs we've been meeting and then how to get the need alerts. So you can sign up there. It's pretty self-explanatory. You'll be joining, a, at this point, a pretty large group of, um, of people that are meeting the needs of, of local churches. Is that cool? Thank you. I'll pray for you. We're going to pray for Rodney really quickly because um, he is the leader of this organization, and it's a lot of weight, um, and he is given his heart into it. He's got a team around him, a board with him, but let's just reach our hands towards him and pray for one. God, we just lift up this organization. Thank you for all the countless needs. Thank you for the tough conversations he's had to have. Thank you for the, the dead ends he's come to to find another route. Thank you for the future situations he doesn't even see yet. We pray protection and blessing over him and his family. I pray for the strongest season in marriage and fathering he's ever had. I pray for the best season of life coming up. I pray pray that he would have joy unspeakable and thank you for his service in Jesus name. Amen. Love you, bro. So just real quickly before Sarah comes up, um, if, so this is how we're going to handle this in our own church. We kind of feel like it's our job to meet needs as well. And we've not always done that really great. It's just not easy to do really great, but we do have a couple things we're introducing one in a couple months, a care team that will have a job of helping facilitate all needs in the community. Until then, we're going to have, if someone in, in our body needs money for something dire, we want to help you figure out how to either get that or what's needed. If that happens, we want you to reach out to Alex. Can you raise your hand? He is our point person that will present that to the wise council. If that is you, if someone asks you for money in our body, 
it's also the same thing. We want to understand how to help clearly. The best thing that you can do for someone is to point them towards who? Alex, who will present it to the wise counsel. So basically, this is all on you, Alex. Just kidding. So we want to be good at this, not to check it off, but because this is one of the biggest parts of being a body of Christ, is being able to help people correctly. And like Rodney said, sometimes giving money is not, and you know it's not even helping, but you just want to do it quickly and walk away. That's not always the best. It's usually not the best. So um, I want to pray really quickly as a body, God, and I'll just lead it. Father, that you would just continue to develop us in the kind of people that care, that don't try and build a church on some niche, but are known for being benevolent in the way that Jesus was to his beautiful planet that he died for before we deserved it. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So Sarah, um, I don't envy you in the time frame that we have, but you do speak quicker than most of the people on our staff. And I just want to say a little bit, I did feel like I was supposed to brag on you as you come up. Um, for those of you who don't know Sarah really well, we're extremely gifted as a church to have her. And I'm not saying that as a husband, and I'm not talking about those things. I'm talking about maybe the smartest person on our staff. Bill, what do you think? Jordan, what do you think? I don't know. She does nothing without knowing why she's doing it and caring deeply about it. She's driven by those things. And she's intelligent, and she asks tough questions, and she always has something to say. And I, I love you, and I'm thankful for you, and she's my wife. So, Thanks, amen. Ben. Thank you. <laughs> hey, can you, you want to grab this? Um, all right, so you guys just stand up and like, just move for a hot second. Stand up, move for a second. Get the blood flowing. Can't do a full meet and greet today, but you can, you can do the um, pass the peace, right? Where you're like, get people around you. Pass the peace, pass the peace. Say hello to the people around you. Yes, so. All right, so as uh, Phil just noticed, make, here making my point, do you guys see where my mic is? Just again say that they do not make microphones for women preachers. Because I didn't think this morning, I need something to latch my mic on. No, I just put on a dress. So anyway, if it all of a sudden you hear a big thud, that's it falling. Um, okay, so you guys know I love Advent. And I can't, I can't even adequately describe how many things have happened already today that have the same message and theme. I... The music choices, I mean, just the, well, the second song, um, open up the, that one, it's just so good. And I love it every time, but it's so particularly good as I've read through the lectionary this week and studied the scriptures. Um, it's just on point. And then the last song, which I, I've never heard, and it was, it couldn't be more perfect. I don't know where. James and Julia, and you, the band people, that was amazing. And I think probably some of you got really alarmed with some of the language towards the end um, because it talks about, like, this day of reckoning. And immediately some of us are triggered to, oh, there's Julia. Hey, Julia. Um, great song choices. Thank you. 
Um, immediately, some of us are triggered by this like doomsday, um, these pictures that some of us may have grown up with. And what's been interesting and in my research about Advent, a big Advent theme is the day of the Lord. And we hear that and we immediately think judgment day, scary, hellfire and brimstone, I'm afraid now. And really, the day of the Lord is like our rescue moment. Like, it's, it's the point where shalom finds its fullness. So when we hear the day of the Lord, we have to reframe that and reclaim that language. And one of the interesting things about Advent is we've even sort of watered down, watered down Advent in that we still want to focus on, like, the pretty things of Advent. And this is how we are with Christmas. Um, Christmas is really about going back to the good old days, right? Like nostalgia, like we, we have all our traditions. And it's because we're sometimes afraid to really look forward. We wanna go back to the way things were. And so as we move through Advent, it says, yeah, looking back is important. Memory is important, but imagination is equally important. There has to be language that says, Jesus is coming again, and it not be fearful language, it not be doomsday language, it to be a relief to hear Jesus is coming back. Like he has come, but he is coming again, and that is good news. The problem is that somehow along the way, that hasn't become good news for the world, and we've stopped saying it. Because somewhere along the way, the idea that Jesus is coming back became scary and judgmental because we used it to draw lines instead of using it to open arms, right? So we have to redeem this language that says, Jesus coming back is good news for you. It is good news for you. The Advent message says that is good news. So this morning, I don't have a ton of time, so I'm just going to try to pull out sort of the, the goodness of these passages, um, especially as we, you know, every Sunday we pray through a worship journey, and it's what we believe God is taking us as RCC people of God, the journey he's taking us on to form our hearts. Um, so today, my worship journey is God is forming us into a people who see through the darkness into the light of the coming kingdom. So when he was saying that, I was like, I just told him, I said, you're going to freak out when you hear this. Um, and really both, I mean, you can see the relevance in both, but I especially love it for Jason because this was a big stepping out moment for him to do art in front of you all and to share that. And so I feel like that's Jesus' affirmation of you. So, um, but this is the thing is as the people of God, we don't discount, there is darkness in the world, guys. There is brokenness. We do live in this, what Colossians calls the present evil age. We live in the now and not yet. So Advent says, you don't discount the darkness. You have to acknowledge it, but you proclaim past it. We might be in the darkness, but we don't stay, we see through it. That is the message of Advent. Advent's posture is one foot in the now and one foot in the not yet. We literally live in two worlds. 
And as the people of God, we have to proclaim what is to come because we don't see the full redemption yet. We are the prophets that proclaim it. So we are totally inspired in Advent by John the Baptist, who is, um, I read this week that he's called the main man of Advent. Um, And because he sort of captures the Advent spirit of seeing past the dark and preparing the way for the Lord. So if Advent prepares for the coming of Christ, right, he in the gospel story is the one that did that. And this is what I love about the church calendar is we're stepping into that story again. So every every new season, every new scripture texts, we are stepping back into that gospel story and saying, what can I learn about being back with John the Baptist and learning from him in the story of God? Um, So I'm going to read Luke 3, 1 through 6, which is sort of my main text. And I love that there's a screen in the back. You guys see that? So great. I keep, I just want to look at it. (laughs) Okay. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Eturia and Trachonitis, which sounds like a disease, by the way, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Pastor, so much there. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. You'll pray with me. God, thank you for the bread of your word that we break this morning and we gather around the table and you are the word and you are encountering us through this text. So let us be faithful to the reading of the text. Will your spirit bring understanding? Will you draw us together as you draw us closer to you? And will your spirit move us out into the world? Empty myself of who I am, God. I don't want to try to please, try to make everyone like me. I really want us, as your people, to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So what I love about this passage and about Luke in general as Luke was a doctor, if you didn't know, and so he tended to be very detail-oriented in his writing. And I love that he gives us this historical setting. Um, and this is what is so beautiful about the Christian faith, is that it's rooted in real history. And I think that's helpful for us as we engage the gospel story to recognize that there is a lot, a lot, mostly mystery to the Christian faith, I would say, but it still has roots in history. 
And that's really important. And it's not only important as we engage scripture and as we engage our faith, but it's important, it's an important message for us to recognize that where we encounter God in, in our current history, in our current context is important, right? Like there's a reason we're all here for such a time as this. Um, and so I think it's important for us to be in touch with the world around us, to know our historical context, to know our cultural context, to be people of influence, we really need to be versed in that. We need to practice that. Um, and it also helps us be in touch with the darkness that is in the world and the brokenness in the world. And so some of you might be, be like, resist that, like, oh, no, but Jesus is the light and everything is good and everything's not good right now, right? Like, everything's not good in the world. And I will just prove this to you. Bill has some pictures for me. These are called pictures, and Bill, you can just scroll through them, pictures of the week. These are just this week. So in order to acknowledge the darkness, you must be willing to be in it. And this is what Christ did in the incarnation. He got into the mess with us. But he said in John 16, 33, in this world, you will have problems. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. That is Advent. It's now and not yet. It's both and. The reliability of our faith and our testimony lies with acknowledging there's brokenness around us. We cannot be people who walk around going, la, 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 la. Everything is fine. Everything is good. Jesus is on the throne. Jesus reigns. I'm so happy. Now, granted that those are part of living the full Christian life, but we have to acknowledge that we live in an age, and um, a preacher that I love, Fleming Rutledge, I'll read a quote from her a little bit, um, she talks about how that where we are in the context of the, the story of God, that this is the most fertile ground for enemy, this is enemy territory. That this is the crux of where the enemy is most malevolent and at work. Because it's, it's the constant clash of there is evil, there is darkness, but I have to see through it to what is coming. This is what she says. I think I have this quote, the disappointment quote. Yep, there you go. The disappointment, brokenness, suffering, and pain that characterizes life in this present world is held in dynamic tension with the promise of future glory that is yet to come. In that Advent tension, the church lives its life. So if you're like me, I, um, I tend to be a little bit of a pessimist. There you have it, confession. Um, so when bad things happen, and this week, even as I'm looking at these pictures, I'm like, how? How can we hold on to a hope that says things will change, things can change? Like, how do we hold on to that hope? And the answer is this. We need memory. Philippians 1, 3 through 11 says this. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, 
always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Paul, in the, one of the themes of Philippians is this idea of remembrance, but it's not this idea of like, oh, that was fun. Like, it's not just, just reminiscing. His remembrance is rooted and centered in the person and work of Christ. That's the difference. And there's a, um, I think it was a sociologist. His name is, I practiced his name, by the way, Maurice Halbwax. Has anyone ever heard of this guy? Maurice Halbwax? Anyway, he came up with this idea of collective memory. And he says that memory can only function within a collective context. That the point of memory is that it is explored and it finds meaning together. This is what was happening in, in Paul's letter. Their memory, their experiences, their retelling of the stories of Christ, they were so rooted in that that when they would get together and retell those stories, suddenly this ability to have faith and hope would rise up, right? Um, now, if you know me, I have the worst memory. So the other day, Josh and I, we were talking about, um, we had a secret Santa for the staff. And so I was like, this is the person that I have. This is who you told me. I was like, you whispered it in my ear. And he was like, no, I did not. And you were. Were you there when he whispered it in my ear? <gasps> my memory's better. This whole time? Yeah. Okay, so this whole time, I thought I made up that memory. I was like, I just constructed something that never happened. Don, you're my new best friend. <laughs> anyway, my memory's still not great, which is probably why in this conversation he won, because it's like just sort of assumed that my memory is shot. Um, and then the other day, my dad and my brother, they were driving, and they Marco Poloed me, and they were like, Remember that old caprice we had? So I grew up in a family with four kids, and we all shared the family car, and it was like an 80-something gray caprice. It was like a boat. But that thing was great because we took it to college, and we would just load up friends. But it sort of became famous on campus. We had these names for it. And my dad was like, what was the name of the car? And we were all like, uh. We couldn't figure it out, by the way. My dad thinks he figured it out. But... Um, but immediately, as we started reminiscing, we were bonded, right? Like we had this point of connection. And this is what happens in the Christian community. This is why worship's important. This is why it's important for us to show up, right? And so for someone like me, when I'm like feeling this sense of like despair, I can look at Nancy, who's been this for me, and she says, but remember what God did. Remember who God is. And then 
I feel that hope rise up. And I can believe just a little bit more that even though there is darkness in the world, I can see through that darkness to light. Collective memory, the memory of the saints, builds our faith. And then finally, we need to be moved, though, to imagination. Luke 1, 68 through 79. I'm not going to read this because we read it, um, but it's just so good. Oh, I sort of want to read it. I'm going to read it. <laughs> it's, like, it's poetry, so I have to. You guys know, and it's like stuff like that. Anyway. Blessed be the Lord God. And this is Zechariah, by the way. So we didn't say that before. This is Zechariah's song where after nine months, he has no voice because he initially did not believe God that his wife would have a son in her old age. They did, and like God opens up his mouth. And this is the recorded song. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. Okay, that's the memory. Do you see that praise? That was remembering what God did. Now here's the imagination. Here's the prophecy of what is to come. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. This is the part I loved, so good. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So Zechariah's praise activates his memory, and the memory moves to imagination. What it does then is that memory is to catapult us forward. It draws the community into a future that is already present and transforms it then we can look through the darkness, right, through the keyhole, to the day of the Lord and say, it is coming. Advent, the whole point of Advent is to remember in order to imagine. It's to compel us towards the future to the day of the Lord. So this Advent season... To be a people like John who could see through the darkness to light takes a lot of heart work. It takes preparation, which is why Advent is such an amazing time for us to do the work of self-examination. And this is what John did, right? This is why he said, prepare the way of the Lord. Repent. The idea of repent, the word metanoia, which is the Greek word for repent, means to change one's mind. And I don't know, this is another one. It gets such a bad, bad reputation, this idea of repent. It's beautiful. Why? And this is, you guys know I'm an Enneagram nerd, but this is why I love the Enneagram. When I choose to look at the things I don't want to look at, I become more free. When we repent, it helps us. Like, I walk in more freedom. 
That's good news. Repentance is great news for us. So we have an opportunity during this Advent season to look at ourselves and say, how can I prepare my heart? What is in the way of me again receiving the gift of who Jesus is and proclaiming the gift of who Jesus is? So I'd like to read one more uh, passage, Malachi 3, 1 through 4. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. So like John we enter into this process of refinement so that we can see through the darkness to the light. One more quote. Wherever people are willing to come out from the paralysis caused by fear and anger to active participation, there is the Advent spirit. Wherever there are voices in the darkness speaking out for light, there is the Advent hope. Wherever there are people willing to face danger for freedom, there is the Advent frontier. The work of God is located there. You guys will stand. If you'll just close your eyes. Holy Spirit, we receive more of your hope, or as we've gathered together in our collective memory, we are reminded of what you have done and of who you are. So allow hope to rise up inside that says you have done the impossible and you will continue to do the impossible. Let us receive the promise that you will come again. You have come and you will come again. We have no control over what that looks like. So let us trust you and receive the gift of traveling in community. This morning, will you enable us to see through the darkness to the light of your coming? Will you give us the courage to examine ourselves to prepare the way for your coming? Will we begin to notice where you are at work in the world and join you there? In Jesus' name, amen. So Father, we thank you for this opportunity. We pray your blessings over our community, our city, our nation, our world. Let today be awesome. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you again for joining us today, and please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.